Welcome to the third of three parts of this roundtable discussion with the faculty of the Educational Initiative, Rational Management of Hospitalized Patients with Hyponatremia, Application to Patient Cases. These podcasts were produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Otska America Pharmaceutical, Inc. In part three, Professor Joseph Dasta discusses the role of health system pharmacists in managing hyponatremia with Drs. Amy DeZerba and Jody Pepin. Let's focus on the role of the pharmacist in both assessing, managing, following up on these hyponatremic patients. How do pharmacists at your institution, Amy or Jody, play a role in ordering not just the sodium, but the osmolality, urine, serum, TSH, etc., to rule out other causes of hyponatremia to get to the right therapy? That's a great question, Joe. Pharmacists can insert themselves and play a huge role in helping out to determine the cause of hyponatremia. Oftentimes, prescribers may look at just one value and think that they understand where the hyponatremia comes from, but understanding really the underlying pathophysiology of the hyponatremia is paramount. And so ensuring that serum osmolarity, urine osmolarity are checked in addition to ruling out certain causes such as thyroid issues or adrenal issues. And so it's important as pharmacists to systematically go through what lab values have already been checked and what should be checked and and informing the medical house staff or the intensivists of what labs need to be ordered. A lot of times I think that it might be a turf issue because that's more of a diagnostic approach to hyponatremia and the physicians might feel like we're stepping on their toes. But I think if we took the one piece that does have to do with us as part of their diagnosis, and that's looking at medications that cause hyponatremia, and we could inch our way in there and get some credibility in the area of hyponatremia with these physicians based on medications, and they'll start to see that we understand the disease, we can be helpful in them, we can recommend lab values, we can monitor lab values for them or even order them, and to help partner with the physicians in uh, approaching these patients for the optimum patient care because I think that it's intimidating at the very least for a lot of practitioners to deal with hyponatremia. It's so multifactorial and, and so complex and there's a lot of moving parts that I think a multidisciplinary approach to treating these patients is actually what's going to be the cherry on the cake here. Certainly drug-induced hyponatremia uh, would be an important role for pharmacy to play to try to prevent that and or identify it if it occurs. So one of the common drug classes um, of causing hyponatremia, or SIADH, are the SSRIs, which are frequently prescribed uh, these days. So my question to Jody would be, if this drug of that class is identified in a patient as a cause, uh, the drug is stopped. Two questions. What steps does your institution take to prevent that drug or a similar drug of being restarted both in the hospital as well as when the patient gets uh, discharged to the outpatient setting to prevent a readmission. We're beginning to focus on the new transition to care model uh, where pharmacists get involved in the medication reconciliation process through the entire continuum of the stay and also be effective on the discharge end where they get the medication list that the, the physician wants to send the patient home on maybe even get their medications for them at an outpatient setting if you have one available in your institution, and also teaching and counseling those patients on their medication that they're supposed to go home on, taking it even so far if you have the resources to deal with 
patients on the outpatient setting and call, making phone calls and following up with them to see if, you know, they're being compliant with their medications. The difficult part that I see in this whole picture is while the patient's in the hospital, it's very easy. We, the pharmacists have great relationships with the physicians. We could tell them to stop medications that we think are offending and exacerbating the cases or maybe even the causative reasons, and they listen to us. But when we make a recommendation to discharge a patient with a new medication or without a medication that a primary care physician on the outside had started, that involves the hospitalist having to either write that in their discharge summary or call the patient's provider, if the patient even has a provider on the outside, and talk to them and say, you know, this might have been a reason why this patient was admitted, and the pharmacist here recommended stopping it, and I would like to not continue it on the outside. While that's a nice idea, they're so busy, the hospitalists, I know where we work, and that while they write the discharge summary and make the recommendation, that phone call, that communication is really the hard piece for them to be consistent with. And then you don't know on the primary care physician side how thorough they are in reading these discharge notes if the patient in fact, even shows up for their follow-up visit with their primary care physician. It's a whole other story. When they go to a rehab facility, that might be a little easier because you can still affect the medication reconciliation process on that transfer. But I think it's very challenging, and that's where we're heading for accountable care organizations to get tied into communities and primary care providers and the hospital, and hopefully all these electronic medical records all talk to each other. And when those start talking to each other, maybe the people will start talking to each other. And Certainly you know. the issue of reimbursement for a 30-day readmission has got to be an important impetus to getting it done right. Right. Both from a human factors standpoint and a system standpoint. So let's say a patient is started on an oral VAPT, the only oral VAPTAN available is tall VAPTAN at your institution. Is there a process to ensure that it gets continued after discharge, which is similar to the things that you've been talking about. I wouldn't say that we really have a process. I think that we would engage, and we do engage the case managers to try to get them involved to see if the patient insurance will pay for the medication on the outside because it is cost prohibitive for most patients. If they don't have any kind of insurance that would help in doing that, then maybe they can look at patient assistance programs maybe provided by the pharmaceutical companies. And if not, then maybe a conversation should be had with the physician saying, you know, we can't really get this medication for this patient to go home on. They are one of the core measures that CMS is looking at. They have, you know, heart failure, pneumonia, or acute myocardial infarction. That's why they were here. And they're going home hyponatremic or at risk for hyponatremic, which then makes them at risk for a 30-day readmission. And hospitals are not getting paid if they have exorbitant amount of readmissions in these CMS patients. And so I think it's a very delicate issue. It has a lot of problems as far as cost and compliance. The patient has to take the medicine. And the physicians need to become aware that I don't even know that they all realize how expensive some of the hospitalists that aren't, you know, practicing mm-hmm. or out there and, and writing these usually. I think the nephrologists know how much they cost, but I don't think the hospitalists realize sometimes how much these these drugs cost and and all of the problems that surround it. So it's not really a process that we have. It's kind mm-hmm. of like we just go one patient at a time and try to do the best for that patient for whatever resources we have and also whatever kind of issues come up around that patient's care. So there's going to be patients that stimulus for the hyponatremia persists when they leave the hospital. There's obviously a group of patients that it doesn't persist, like if it's a, from pneumonia for example, but if it's heart failure and other 
long-term chronic conditions that, that occurs. Now, the recent update on the package insert for Tolvaptan limits the duration therapy to 30 days. How do you think that could impact the usefulness on a long-term basis of Tolvaptan in patients with some chronic condition? I think while the FDA says that you know, it's a recommended 30-day length of use for the drug to be safe, that there's still the physicians out there that have to do a risk-benefit analysis on their patients and also now tie in the fact that they're concerned about reducing readmissions for the hospitals that they work. Think about that more in terms of, you know, I know the FDA says this. It's not a law. I'm, I still can practice medicine and use my clinical judgment and weigh the pros and cons of this. And if the patient is able to afford it, I'm going to monitor them frequently, mm-hmm. like every three months for their liver function tests, and make sure that there's no changes there. But I think that it's prudent and safer and less expensive in the long run if we keep the patient on it past 30 days. I think we should have that Yeah, autonomy. And the reason behind the change in the package insert was based on studies in which the drug was used in a totally different condition, polycystic kidney disease, where the dosing was much higher than what we use for hyponatremia. So that, you're right, that takes it into consideration. And I think what else is interesting is looking outside of just heart failure, but looking at our liver failure patients, where we do have a plethora of information that does demonstrate that going into surgery for a liver transplant with hyponatremia has worse outcomes than mm-hmm. patients who are normonatremic. And so really, we have a therapeutic controversy here and how do we treat these patients with liver failure now with Vaptans or without Vaptans? Interesting uh, conundrum that we're in. Well, Amy and Jody, thank you so much. I enjoyed hearing the insights. I'm sure our pharmacist colleagues listening would agree. Thank you once again. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. This concludes the third and last part of the roundtable discussion. To access other educational opportunities on this topic, visit the web portal at www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash hyponatremia cases.